Hello, welcome to the Brazilian Health Nut Show. Here you will find cutting-edge information provided by the best experts in the world so you can learn how to burn fat for the rest of your life. Bruno de Gama is the Brazilian Health Nut in a mission to solve the problems you have when trying to lose weight forever. He is a nutritional therapy practitioner, a certified personal trainer, and a holistic lifestyle coach by the Czech Institute. Don't forget to say hello and sign up to our free newsletter at www.brazilianhealthnet.com. Let's go! Hello, hello, Burn Fats Forever Warrior. How are you doing? I'm back again with another episode of the Burn Fats Forever show. And today, you're gonna love this one. We have a very special guest. His name is Mark David, and he is the founder of the Psychology of Eating Institute. I know his work for quite some time, and actually, it's a very honor to interview him because he's a guy who is doing a lot of amazing stuff for the health community, and I've learned a lot from him, to be honest with you. You actually should check it out, his website and his podcast. He has his own podcast related to the psychology of eating, which is the topic of today. We're going to go very, very deep into the whole mindset, the psychology of eating. So during this show, we're going to learn what is like the mindset to keep sustainable weight loss, to lose weight and keep it off because this is the hard part, right? How to deal with emotional eating, what to do about it. Mark has some cool ideas and some amazing tips for you. What to do when you're craving food, especially the ones you know it's not really good for you. So make sure that you listen to this interview with Mark David. You're gonna love this one. And don't forget, I almost forgot to tell you here, we have an upcoming new challenge coming up. All you have to do to register is just go to brazilianhealthnuts.com slash challenge. And I'm gonna be very, very happy to see you there to help you if your healthy journey in terms of burning more fat, of course, but having more energy, creating the body of your dreams. We have already, I don't know, last time I checked, over 400 people people register. So make sure you save your spots, don't procrastinate, take action, and I will be happy to help you during this five-day challenge. Just go to brazilianhealthnuts.com slash challenge and register totally for free and join this amazing community of people who are going to support you all the way through it. All right, I hope that you enjoy the interview with Mark David so that you can keep burn fat forever. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Mark. I super appreciate your time. Can you tell a little bit about your background first for people who don't know who Mark David is? I would love to. Thank you so much, Bruno. So real simple. I am the founder of the Institute for the Psychology of Eating. We're an online educational organization. We have a training for professionals. We have programs for the public. And, and my my passion, my love, my um, expertise. I don't even like to use that word, but it's, it is really in combining the psychology of eating and nutrition. So we could really better understand ourselves because nutrition alone doesn't quite always cut it when it comes to working with ourselves, when it comes to weight or dieting or body image or overeating or binge eating, 
you know, you could tell somebody what to do. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do it. So I think it's as important to understand the mind of the eater as it is the physiology of the eater. So I combine the two. I've written a couple of books in the field that have, you know, been bestsellers over the years. And we got tons of, I don't know, people, fans, you know, wonderful humans who are part of our tribe. You know, we have millions of downloads from between our podcasts and people visiting our social media pages. And, you know, I've tried to put out good, positive, uplifting information that really makes a difference for people in their relationship with food. Right. That's the quick answer. Right. Do you, what's the, like the biggest reason for you to create this, the Institute for the Psychology of e the Eating, really? You know, Bruno, I fell in love with nutrition from a very, very young age because I was, I was a sickly infant, you know, almost died a handful of times. When I was an infant, almost died of asthma a number of times. I was allergic for most of my life. I had some undiagnosed, nobody knew what it was autoimmune condition and none of the doctors could help. And I started changing my diet, believe it or not, when I was five years old and five years old, five years <laughs> old. I heard, I heard a rumor that fruits and vegetables were good for you because I was raised on pure artificial food. I, I don't think I'd ever seen a fruit or a vegetable. Mm -hmm. uh, and I asked my mother to change my diet and she slowly did. And my health started to change. And for me, that was, that was just pure magic. It was absolute magic. I realized, oh my goodness, I have the power. Even though I'm a little kid, I can, I can influence my health with what I choose to eat. That, that blew my mind. But then, you know, I got into nutrition as a profession as a, at a very young age. I was already seeing clients when I was still in college because I was so passionate about it and so fanatic about it. And I quickly realized that, you know, I started working with people who would say, oh, yeah, you know, tell me what to do. And I tell them what to do. And they'd come back a week or two later and say, oh, yeah, I know what you told me to do. I just couldn't do it. And I remember it was a bit of an epiphany. And I thought, my goodness, I, I've taken all this time to, you know, read every nutrition book I can get my hands on. But good nutrition information is not enough. I, I really need to understand people, you know, and how they're just, just what's going on inside them that they are having such challenges with food or they have a disordered relationship with it. So I decided to study eating psychology, and this was back in, you know, 1979, and there wasn't any. There wasn't a single course I could take at a single university across the country. And I remember... I vowed, because I, I, I love books, and that's so much of how I learn, I said to myself, if I can't find the book that I want to read, I'm going to write it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that put me on a journey of about nine or ten years of very intensive study, yeah. going back to graduate school, getting a master's degree in psychology, and doing all kinds of independent research and working with groups and really learning on the job. Yeah. So I developed a body of work and that's that's sort of how it began for yeah. me. Got you. A person nice personal story here. So when you were five, okay, so you started to change your diet at that early age. Did you struggle throughout let's say five to I don't know, like until you you start to college 
or did you just had everything figured out? So how was this journey between, let's say, five when you really realized the power of food until now? I mean, it's a, your life, really. Yeah, well, it was a slow, steady road. Um, you know, there were no overnight miracles, but I was always getting enough feedback, feedback from my body, feedback from what's my body, like, how's my energy? How's my skin? You know, my acne started clearing up at one point. So I would experiment and I was interested in nutrition from the standpoint of a scientist, but a real scientist, meaning let me try different things. Let me do different experiments on my own body and see what happens and observe the results and start to gather data. Let me start to observe other people and watch what they do. So I would say it's been for me a very, very steady road of empowering myself, of slowly shifting my metabolism to what I would imagine it would have been if I had been raised healthfully. Um, you know, the body is so resilient. The body, the body can rebound. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and it's always, you know, always recycling itself all the time. Yeah, it's true. People it's don't so realize true. that like every, I mean, depending on the organ, but like we are kind of like a different person after seven years, pretty much the whole system has been recycled. Let's put it this way, you know? It's yes. It's yes. Great. I love it. Yeah. So Let's say here, Mark, I'm some, somebody who is, has been struggling with weight for quite a long time, yo-yo dieting, all those things, counting calories, and I just cannot lose weight no matter what I do. How do we start this transformation, with, especially <laughs> in terms of relationship with food, right? You know, I, I wish there were great generalizations. You know, in, in my experience with weight and its loss. It's really so different for everybody. We, we try to make weight a one-size-fits-all experience. Oh, just eat this diet, or oh, just take this pill, or just take this drug, or just do this kind of exercise. And what I have to do with any person who has been unsuccessfully trying to lose weight, and honestly, that's the easiest client in the world for me. Because You know, as you know, there's how many people do we meet who will say, you know, oh, I've been dieting 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. I coach women in their 70s who have been dieting since they were nine and 10 years old. It's, it's stunning to me. So what I'm trying to say is the first thing I realize with such people, the first place I go is clearly what you're doing doesn't work. So mm -hmm. I collect all the information from them. Okay, tell me, what have you done? What do you do? When have you lost weight? How long did it stay off for? Why do you think it came back? So I really have to learn about the person. I have to understand their journey. Right. Uh, I have to understand their story, their history. I have to understand their body. I have to understand the strategies that they've tried. And I always know if somebody's been doing, you know, calorie restriction and intense exercise, let's say, because that's a common one. Yeah. Let me restrict my calories and let me do very intense exercise. And then people complain, well, I'm not losing weight. And I'm going, great, that clearly doesn't work. <laughs> You've been doing it for 10 years. We can check that off the list from now. Because what happens is people get really stuck. They get stuck in thinking that it's a strict calories in, calories out phenomenon when it comes to weight loss. 
and a person could have food allergies. And, and it, it, it really could be one, two, or three food sensitivities that might be holding them back. Yeah. Um, why do you think, it, Mark, sorry to cut you, why do you think this yeah. has started? I talked to a lot of people, and they still, they still thinking, most of them, that the secret here is just to eat less and exercise more. But uh, when do you think this, really, this culture of calories and exercising more to lose weight has started? Well, you know, I could say in the United States, it started, you know, probably in the early 70s. And it it took off very quickly. And it's what everyone learns in their junior high school science class. It's drilled into you. And even if you don't take classes in it, you hear people talking about Weight Watchers and you hear about them counting points or counting calories or counting something. And all the media, all the magazines, all the TV shows, that's what everybody talks about. So even if you're not trying to lose weight, you've absorbed that, you've heard that, you've learned it in science class, you've learned that in university if you've gone to university. And it seems to make sense. So everybody believes it. But it's something I call a toxic nutritional belief. It's based on old, outdated, incomplete science, and it's um, it, it's 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 just it's it's rubbish. It doesn't work. Yes, um, I, I remember. Yeah, mm -hmm. I remember when I was uh, here in New York. Uh, I went back to school, um, uh, and that was probably six years ago. And on the meantime, I was also learning everything on my own, kind of like and just listening to podcasts, reading books and watching a lot of videos. That's when I actually got to know uh, your work and I know for years now. And but I was in school and this, the professor there, there was a class about uh, nutrition the, and just, just talking about this, what I just mentioned here before. Oh, in order for us to lose pounds, you have to count this and a pound of fat has 3,500 calories, whatever, and if you burn this during the week, you're going to be losing one pound a week and blah, blah, blah. And we had to do all this math and all this exercise for the whole semester. It was crazy. And I was just mm -hmm. like, at the same time, I was learning from, from all these other people who were telling me a completely different story here. And, and I tried to put myself into other people's skin and thinking, they get so freaking confused, right? Yes. Yes. And, and I think, you know, that's a really good point to me that you're making is unless you do this professionally, unless, you know, you're spending all your time studying this, reading about it, working with clients. You know, I, I learned about weight and weight loss working with literally thousands of people over the years. And when I first started, sure, I thought it was calories in, calories out. And then when I saw that wasn't working, I thought, huh. What else is it? I, I was curious enough and and I had enough intellectual maturity to understand that, you know, we have to be flexible enough to evolve our understanding of science and of nutritional science. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, we we live in a time when that's starting to turn, that's yeah. starting to change. We're understanding that, you know, There's, I, I call it non-caloric weight gain. There are, certain, there, there are certain factors that can show up in life, that can show up in your body, that will impact your calorie-burning metabolism that has nothing to do with calories. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you can give somebody antibiotics, and all of a sudden, they're going to start to gain weight. 
Um, yeah. You can give somebody certain prescription drugs and they're going to start to gain weight despite the amount of food that they're eating. Okay. You can put somebody through a stressful life experience and they start to gain weight and they're eating less food. Mm -hmm. um, do you think so? Yes, gotcha. Do you, do you yeah. think that the secret here to sustainable weight loss, it's, mind, it's on the mindset more than anything else? Um, I, you know, again, I think it depends on the person. Yeah. So for many people, absolutely, it's mindset. Um, for many people, it's really cleaning up the diet yeah. and learning how to get specific about what your body's calling for. It's my belief, Bruno, you know, I, 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 I love observing. I love watching people, whether it's my clients, friends, students, loved ones. Like I'm always observing people, their diets, their bodies over time. And what I notice is that, you know, the young people these days, um, even though they might have been raised healthy, their systems are oftentimes more sensitive because There's just so much more toxicity in the world. There's so much more toxicity in the food chain, in the environment that we're exposed to, that there's a lot of pressure on our DNA. There's a lot of pressure on our genetics. So even though you might be eating the healthiest diet, if your parents didn't eat healthy, some people will be impacted by the diet that their parents had when you were in your mama's womb. Um, oh, yeah. it's crazy. There's yeah. research on that. So then what happens is we have to get each one of us has to, you know, especially if there's a goal, if you say, well, I want to lose weight and I truly have weight to lose, then it, then we owe it to ourselves to as best as possible, explore all possibilities. So I want to explore, okay, what's, what's the best nutrition for me? Do I have food allergies? Um, are there certain diets like paleo or vegan that might work best for me? Are there some diets that might work great short term? You know, maybe I go on raw food for three months and, and then see how I feel. Um, so I think we need to experiment. But then again, there's so many people who the issue is they are so freaked out about weight loss that it takes up all their airtime, all their thought time, right. and they're stressed out yeah. about losing weight. So they're creating in their chemistry the opposite conditions of weight loss because they're generating more cortisol, they're generating more adrenaline, and you generate enough cortisol day in and day out, it can signal your body to store fat. It can signal your body to store weight. Yeah. It lets your body know you're in a stress response and just hang on to weight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what about the person who is looking at the mirror right now and she or he he's not, he's not happy with the way they look let's talk a little bit about body image because i had huge issues with body image not because i was obese but because i was too skinny which is pretty much the same way you know it's just your mm -hmm. body and one is more it's bigger the other, the other one is smaller so let's yeah let, give me your best take here on body image mark please okay this is a big one We are under tremendous, um, how can I say, viral attack through the media, through social media, through television, through magazines. For many decades now, we are being given the signal that in order for you to be okay, in order for you to be loved, if you're a guy, you have to look like fill in the blank. You got to look like a muscular superhero, you know, and be rich. 
And for a woman, you have to be skinny and pretty and young. And as long as you fit into those two things, then you're going to be in the in crowd and people are going to love you and you're going to find true love and, and you're, going to, you're going to have lots of dates and you're going to live happily ever after. So we get that drilled in from a young age. And, and it's, it's mind boggling. You have four, five, six-year-old girls already on a, saying that they're on a diet and already saying what body parts they want to change. So we picked this up at a young age. So what I want to say, Bruno, is that one of the most important factors I have seen to help people move forward who are working with, you know, a body image that's, that, that's not as good as it could be, what I like to say is that in order to get where you want to go, um, there's a place where we have to embrace where we are right now. It's kind of like, I don't know, do you ever go to a shopping mall and they got those big maps and it says you are here? Mm -hmm. You know, there's hundreds of stores. You don't know where you are. Okay, you are here. Yeah. So in order for you to get to the store you want to go to, you got to locate yourself. Now you could say to yourself, oh, damn, look, I'm all over here and I need to be on the other side of the mall. I hate myself. I hate life. I'm going to just sit down and eat and punish myself because I'm so far from my destination. Or you could say, okay, here's where I am. No big deal. I get to walk through the mall and go to my destination. What's happening is people are trying to hate themselves and self-abuse themselves into weight loss. They are trying to self-attack into weight loss. I hate my body. I hate myself. Or, you know, for a guy that wants to gain muscle, the opposite. Oftentimes we look in the mirror, we just speak unkindly to ourselves and we can no longer ignore what goes on in the mind because we understand now how powerfully mind impacts the body. In fact, in fact, science understands that, but it really hasn't hit home yet. People don't, people don't get that drilled into them when they're young. Um, what we're thinking impacts who we are. So how can a a road of self-hate possibly end up in a destination where I say, I love my body now. If you're using diets that are that that you can't stand, that you don't like, and you weigh yourself every day and you belittle yourself every day and you insult yourself every time you walk by a window, but you're trying to lose weight so you can be happy, so you can love yourself. It makes no sense. It's illogical. So what I so people don't see usually that self-love happens today and it's a practice. People think I will love myself when I have this perfect body. I will love myself when I lose the weight. And what I do with my clients, my students, my friends is I let them know, okay, have your goal. That's fine. It's a great goal. But in order to get to that goal, we need to infuse love all along the journey. We need to infuse nourishment. We used to need to put in pleasure. We need to include self-regard and you need to work on yourself as a person as much as you're working on your body. Another way of saying that, Bruno, is that when we become, when, when you and I reach our, start to reach our potential as human beings, as we grow in character, as we grow personally, as we grow emotionally, as we grow spiritually, as we become the person we're meant to be, the body has a better chance, in my experience, of becoming what it's meant to be. Mm. My, yes. my assumption is everyone has a natural place. 
mm-hmm. um, a natural place where their where their weight, their shape is going to hang for a while. It's where they ought to be. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a kind of a natural place of where they should be right now in their life in terms of who they are, their life stage, how you show up, how you give your gifts. Um, Love we it. think we could, you know, so <laughs> we got to work on self as much as we work on the body. Yeah. yeah, body image is a huge topic here. We could just focus the whole podcast about body image, but I want I have so many things here. I want to talk to you, Mark. Hey, Burn Fat Forever Warrior. I hope that you are enjoying the show. Just a quick break here because I want to offer something very, very special. I want to invite you to my free five-day health challenge that's coming up. All you have to do is just go to brazilianhealthnuts.com slash challenge and register for free right now. During this five-day, I'm going to be personally coaching you with the help of hundreds of other people who are also in the challenge and going to give you the whole support to start your health journey. Burning more fat, feeling better, having more energy, just becoming this amazing human being, this healthiest version of yourself that I know that you want to have in your life. So don't procrastinate, take action, and just join us on brazilianhealthnuts.com slash challenge. And I will see you there. Right? So let's get back to the show right now. Enjoy it. Let's talk about emotional eating. This is a huge one I get all the time. Oh, Bruno, I'm just an emotional eater. You know, I, I go back home from my job and then I go to the fridge and, and whatever is it in front of me, I go ahead and when I see it's too late, I just, you know, I need that. <laughs> How do we go here, Mark, about the person who is an emotional eater? Mm, great question. You know, Here's what I've seen. There's a lot of people, as you say, who self-diagnose. They say, I'm an emotional eater. Now, here's the thing. Usually when somebody says, I'm an emotional eater, everybody has a different um, definition of that. So they're saying something, and we assume we think they know what they mean. We assume that they have the same definition we do. What I have discovered is that Oftentimes, people will inaccurately diagnose themselves as an emotional eater. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. A lot of people, yeah, they'll be at work all day, and they don't take a lunch break, and they just eat on the run at work. They eat at their desk while they're working when they're on the computer and on the phone, and they actually haven't had a true meal or meals. They haven't had a a nourishing food experience, and they might not have even eaten enough. So right now, what's happening is they're probably deprived. Their body is deprived of macronutrients. It's deprived of micronutrients. It's deprived of nutrition. Not only that, the body is deprived. The brain is deprived of the eating experience. The brain needs the eating experience. Humans are different than our little creatures and then the creatures of the earth. We're just very different. We have culture. The brain is enculturated and biologically wired to taste, to receive pleasure, to, to sense food, to smell it, to get satisfaction, to feel nourished by it. So when we aren't getting pleasure from food, the brain takes note. So then you come home from work, you're nutrient deprived, your body is starving for nutrition. On top of that, your brain, your emotional body hasn't had food. And then the brain screams hungry. And you go to yourself, oh, I'm, so, I'm such an emotional eater. No, you're not an emotional eater. You didn't take care of yourself during the day. Right. You were skipping meals. You didn't nourish yourself. 
you are making a wrong conclusion based on I don't know what, um, you know, based on just like a quick, lazy, you know, uh, assessment of yourself. Um, so that's why it's it's nice to have somebody else kind of question you and look at what's going on for you. Another way that people, I think, misdiagnose as emotional eaters is if someone's a fast eater. Mm-hmm. If if you're a fast eater, your brain does not have enough time to register taste, pleasure, aroma, satisfaction. That's called the cephalic phase digestive response. It is literally a requirement of the brain. The brain needs to be involved in the meal. Why? Because your brain and your gut are together scanning the meal for the nutritional profile to understand, okay, I'm eating food. Is this poisonous? Do I need to throw it up? Um, is this healthy food? Am I getting enough fat from this meal? Do I need more water? Do I need more fiber? Do I have enough? Am I full? Am I still hungry? So the brain has to scan the nutrition of the meal and compare notes with the digestive system. And then they all kind of work together and then decide, okay, we're done. Now, when you're a fast eater, the brain cannot, the brain needs time. Pleasure takes time. Taste takes time. A feeling of nourishment takes time. The feeling that the body wants of a completion of a meal, which is a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction, takes time. If you don't give the body that, once again, the brain isn't smart enough to say, hey, you're eating too fast. And when you eat too fast, you deregulate your appetite and you're building up a hunger deficit. You're, the, the brain thinks you're nutritionally deprived and you're going to be physiologically driven to eat. And then we think I'm an emotional eater. Gotcha. No, you're not an emotional eater. You just eat too fast the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, what about? Let, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say. Lastly, um, emotional eating has a bad name. Now, I understand that there are certain people who will use food to regulate their emotions. That's usually what people are meaning, even though they don't use those words. That's usually what people are meaning when they say I'm an emotional eater. They are using food to regulate their emotions, meaning, gosh, I had a rough day at work. Uh, It was awful. Let me come home and eat ice cream. Eat ice cream. Feel better. Come home. Eat lots of burritos. Feel better. So feel bad. Eat food. Feel better. Now, there's nothing wrong with that formula because you learned it you know, when you were a tiny little infant and it's built into our genetics and it's built into our DNA. Watch any, watch any little baby, watch any, they're crying, they're screaming all of a sudden and you give the baby to mama and she pulls out the bottle or pulls out the breast. And in two seconds, the baby goes from crying, screaming little infant to nice and relaxed and all happy and nourished and warm and fuzzy. Mm, Yeah, that's crazy. Feel bad. So feel bad, eat food, feel better. So we have that memory. So it, so what I'm trying to say is if you are attacking yourself because you use food to soothe your emotions, what I'm saying is that's not a good fight because humans do that. Yes, it gets problematic if we do it too much, but I often say to clients who are worried about emotional eating, well, I'm an emotional eater. So I'd say, okay, what's the opposite of an emotional eater? An unemotional eater? So you're just going to eat, <laughs> sit there like a machine and not have any feelings? No. Yeah. You celebrate. That's emotional eating. You party yeah. with food. That's emotional eating. Right. So, it's part of our culture. It's, yes. it's culture. Yeah, it's crazy. And this reminds me, I was here in Manhattan this week on a big event, uh, on a big store that I don't want to mention the name. 
but there was a lot of kids there and they like young kids i'm talking about like four to seven years old and they were giving like all this candy for these kids and playing with toys but the food was like unbelievable i was like oh my god like what you guys are doing i just want to go to the manager and talk <laughs> something about that it's crazy what about craving um mark for certain foods that we know it's unhealthy you know we know that a sugary chocolate bar is not healthy for us but we're still craving those things uh what is the most common things that you see here related to cravings interesting you know probably the most common craving tends to be sugar um you know one could easily argue for caffeine in all of its forms after that and one could also argue that a common craving is actually wheat you know if you try to take gluten or wheat away from most people they will they will go through withdrawal um so the body can get habituated um to those substances and in different ways and for different reasons um so it's kind of fascinating because it's a weird feature of the body that the body will often desire or crave that which is not good for it um an alcoholic craves alcohol does that mean that they need alcohol no um you know a cocaine addict is going to crave cocaine does that mean that their body needs cocaine of course not but the body gets attached the body gets habituated the body can be easily hooked and fooled um so we just have to understand that about our nature um and but at the same time oftentimes as you start to listen to your body and respect it a little more you notice that you crave foods and they're oftentimes foods that the body needs animals and nature do this all the time you know dogs will dogs will eat clay you know cats will eat certain weird strange herbs um animals will get cravings it's very natural they all of a sudden desire something that they need so i'm always asking people you know notice what you crave not just the bad foods but foods that are like huh why am i craving avocados all of a sudden huh let me eat more of them and see how i feel see what you notice mhm yeah i did uh, i did a like a cleansing detox um last month and was all plant based for the first time in my life i was eating 10 days of just plants and i was like kind of like craving let's put this way like some meat the same way when i'm in brazil i eat mostly more like uh, fish seafood and and a lot of uh, more, like meat oriented and some days i crave plants so it's kind of yeah it's it's funny like uh, like that do you think is there such a thing as food addiction mark oh bruno i'm so glad you asked this question um so i'm not going to pull any punches here i'm going to speak very directly i don't like at all the term food addiction i wish we could strike it from the english language and i'm going to tell you why um and i want to be super clear about this it is for sure humanly and physiologically possible to be addicted in terms of how we define addiction to specific foods you can be addicted to coffee/caffeine you can be addicted to sugar uh you can be addicted to alcohol um though i'll i'll start with those three cuz those are the easiest ones so you can be addicted to specific substances however what happens is when we use the term food addiction 
it becomes a linguistic psychological nightmare for many people because all the people who have a challenging relationship to food, they go, oh, I'm a food addict. You can't possibly be addicted to food in yeah, general. I, I, I just, what, what do you mean? That's like, that's like me saying, for life. yes, it's required for life. That's like me saying, Bruno, I'm addicted to, to, to breathing. To Bruno, breathe. I'm addicted to blood flow in my mm. system. No, mm. that's nonsense. It's necessary for life. You cannot be addicted to that which is necessary for life. Food is necessary for life. It is built into every cell of your body that you must, <laughs> you must seek food and, and get it any way you can. So you can't be addicted to food. Again, you can be addicted to specific foods. So what happens is there are so many people calling themselves food addicts, and it is a very unfortunate self-diagnosis which causes more harm than whatever challenge the person is dealing with because it is an illogical statement to the brain. <gasps> oh my God, I'm hungry again. I'm a food addict. No, you're hungry because you need food. <laughs> so mm -hmm. so, yeah. so the it, words that we use is very important, right? Extremely yeah. important, my friend. Yes. Yeah, got you. Thank you so much for clarifying that. What about focusing on the weight on the scale, Mark? Uh, let me share a little bit about my personal story here. I, like I said before, I was always very skinny and I want to get to this mark, 75 kilograms. I don't know how much is that in pounds, but I really wanted when I was young and like, that's my goal. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be a better person, whatever it is that the story that I created in my, my head. And there was actually this Past year, I was in Brazil, I was at my aunt's house, and there was a like a scale there. I don't usually weight myself because it doesn't matter for me anymore, but I was like, oh, let me let me step on the scale and see. It was exactly 75 kilos, and I was like, oh my God, I got to the mark that I was always thinking about, and then I realized nothing really changed. I'm still the same person. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just the same person. Nothing changed in my life. What, how do you deal with the, the weight on the scale situation. A lot of people are still weight themselves and all of, all of the, the, the jazz. <laughs> yeah. You know, Bruno, what a great question. It, it's, you know, once again, I'll, I'll look at it differently with different people. Um, if it's somebody who obsessively weighs themselves and has been obsessively weighing themselves for years and is sort of a slave to the scale. I know people who weigh themselves three, four, five times a day. People who weigh themselves in the morning, if they gained a pound, they literally, they collapse. They go into self-hate, self-rejection. They starve themselves. If they lost a pound in the morning, they're happy. Um, so we're giving this machine that is only about 85% accurate the power to determine our mood and what we should feel. If you take your scale and you move it to five different rooms in your house right now, and you weigh yourself in each room, it's going to vary by a pound or two. Um, if you sweat too much, if you didn't take a poop that day, it's, 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 um, so what I like to do is people that have been weighing themselves for years and who I think are a little bit obsessive about their weight, I'm going to ask them to totally let go of the scale. I ask them to put it in a bag, throw it in your garage, better still, take a, take a hammer, destroy it, and toss it out. Kill it first. Um, and just live for three, four, five, six months without a scale. Um, mm -hmm. Because every other creature in nature lives without a scale. Humans lived for eons of time without a scale. 
the greatest humans who we respect, our heroes throughout history, didn't need a scale. Um, so yeah, absolutely. No, a and lot... I love yeah, I love the way you you answer most of this question. It's always kind of like it depends, and that's the same way that I answer here because people want just like a black and white answer most of the time. Just, oh, tell me what to do, tell me what to eat, whatever. Like just give me the answer, and there is not such a thing as this. It's very holistic. It's very multifactorial, and yeah, for some people maybe it works, but for certain certain people's it doesn't, right? Exactly. And we have to understand that. People have to understand that. And, you know, I think, Bruno, part of the challenge is we live in a world where we worship oftentimes the quick fix method. So we worship the, oh, just do this new diet. It's going to work or just do this new pill. So everybody wants to win the lottery. Um, and if you want to get wealthy, sure, the lottery is one way. But yeah. the other even way, even though 80% <laughs> of the people who win the lottery, they come back to their unhappiness stage <laughs> exactly. uh, after years. It's, exactly. Yeah, even, and we still want to win the lottery. But that's a different topic. Right. <laughs> But the way to make money is to work. You know, the way to make money is to create more value. The way to win the lottery when it comes to your health, when it comes to weight, really is to be practicing on a daily basis the kinds of things that move us forward rather than looking for the big answer that really never yeah. comes looking for the magic answer is to start to examine a little bit more deeply what it is on the day-to-day -day level that i can change um i i don't know it's been very strange there's research that's been floating around that says people that lose weight rapidly keep it off longer. And I've, I haven't seen that at all. I think that's a bunch of nonsense. Um, hmm. yeah, I, I haven't seen that correlation whatsoever. Yeah. Quite the opposite. I find quite the opposite. I yeah. find I was actually reading, reading something last week and it was all about the talking the, about the biggest loser and how 93% of the winners, they actually gained all back after five or six years or even some more. Yes. So they went back to the same or more, which is crazy. Five, six years. You know, it's uh, on the on your life. It's a really short term. So are you familiar with the work of Caroline Miss by any chance? Oh, for sure. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I love it. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, I, lo I love her so much. So, like I've been learning from her like lately, like crazy. And she talks about these archetypes. So she talks about the victim, the child, the prostitute. I mean, so many, but those are the ones that really stand out for me. Can you share a bit, a little bit about the, the archetypes that we have in our lives? Oh, for sure. You know, there's so many, but let's, let's think of a few that we can really relate with food. And, you know, that, that might be helpful here. Um, one of the archetypes that is very timeless is the rebel inside of us. And the rebel is the part of us that, just as it sounds, it doesn't like to follow the rules. It likes to be its own person. The rebel doesn't want to listen to authority. The rebel is not going to go with the crowd. And the rebel isn't afraid to do whatever it takes to find a new way to do something different. And if something's not working, if something's not right, the rebel's the first one to raise his hand or her hand and say, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going down this road. Um, the rebel's the part of us that fights injustice. 
The rebel is the part of us that fights nonsense in the world and fights unconsciousness. Um, but here's the thing. The rebel in us, what happens is if your rebel isn't getting a workout, um, if your rebel doesn't get a chance to be expressed, then it's easy for the rebel to start to work against you, meaning you just rebel against your own self. You rebel against your own rules. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm supposed to eat, you know, not supposed to eat so much sugar, but ah, nah, you know, that's such a dumb rule. I'm going to eat sugar and then I eat sugar and then I feel bad about myself. You know, there's your rebel taking over in a way that doesn't serve you, but it's the rebel in you. It's the rebel in you that would break your own rules. And oftentimes, you know, we grow up in a household. We grow up in a situation where our rebel needs to be really strong or we're just naturally rebellious by nature. We have to learn how to use the energy of the rebel in the world and not against self. Um, so as soon as I start to do things that go against myself, as soon as I start to rebel against my own rules, I actually ask myself, where in my life do I need to be more courageous? Where in my life do I need to stand up more? Where in my life do I need to be more angry, have more of a voice? Um, you know, mm, so nice. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, this archetypes is fascinating. Something that we could just talk about this because this is so important, like all this these archetypes that we have in our lives and how it's um, it's it's really taking care of our life like it's it's crazy my last question here before before I let you go mark is what's the future of weight loss and health where do you see like in the next five, 10 years where are we going with this this whole thing uh, great question well you know to me the future of weight loss i see it coming to a fork in the road and i see two different roads One road to me is going to be what, you know, the drug companies and big industry wants us to do, which is to take more drugs and do more dieting and eat more poor quality food. So even though, you know, everybody likes to say all the, you know, the food industry and the medical industry always likes to say, yeah, we want people to be healthy, stop eating so much. Well, you know, the food companies are producing some of the worst garbage on the planet and calling it food. So I think as a planet, we're going to continue to gain weight because people need cheap food and cheap food is um, it's a big business and it's also very unhealthy. So part of the challenge is very economic um, and it's a um, imbalanced distribution of wealth. On the other hand, there's people like you, like me, like the people that we know who are looking in other directions who are going, wait a second, we have, to, we have to look at a bigger picture. We have to look at a more holistic picture. And usually it's people like that who are talking to the haves as opposed to the have-nots. Um, so even though you, know, you can you know, go to my website or Facebook pages and you can get stuff for free and people can go to your you know, website and they can get free information. A lot of people don't have the time. They don't have the education. They don't, they don't even have the inclination. They don't know where to begin. They don't know what to do. Um, so it's going to be up to us to educate people and get the information out there. So mm -hmm. I see okay. it as kind of like an interesting, um, I'll say it, it's kind of like a battle and it's a battle for greater consciousness 
It's about putting more consciousness and more love into the food chain and more love into the collective conversation about the body and about weight loss. Because right now, the conversation is dominated by a lot of greed, by a lot of hate, by a lot of self-hate. Um, and it just needs a lot more love and light, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. I could talk with you for long, long hours here. But so, where can people find you, Mark? Where is the best way for getting touch with you? Uh, and what's like next for you? Well, psychologyofeating.com. That's our website. You could also go to our Facebook page if you if you just you know go to Facebook and just put in psychology of eating. The institute page is there, and you know we have t just tons of free content. We ha I, I do a podcast where I coach people live. We have videos. Just just so much to pull from, you know. And we have programs. I have a training where I train coaches in this body of work, and we have programs for the public. So just go to psychologyofeating.com or email us at info at psychologyofeating.com, and that's a great place to start. Awesome. Man, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you for being this inspiration. I have been learning from you for years and years right now. I have to confess here. And yeah, uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you here and keep it up with the good work. Well, I'm so happy that you're doing what you're doing, Bruno. And, and I really appreciate your perspective. And, you know, I can really tell that, that you've really chosen to educate yourself and and what a beautiful thing you know to 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 be an educated professional to have an open mind and i think that's how we grow together so i'm 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 so loving the work that you're doing and congratulations i told you burn fast forever this interview was going to be amazing mark does such a great job one favor if you could please leave a review on itunes so that we can spread the word here and have more people listening to this show i would highly appreciate you all you have to do is just go to itunes if you're not subscribed you can subscribe and leave a review and i will see you next time on the following episodes remember Keep burn fats forever. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Brazilian Health Nut Show. Go to www.brazilianhealthnut.com for much more information about how to burn fat for the rest of your life. Hasta luego.